0: couple of things. We have a guest speaker today, uh, our very own Pete Lyon, RUF campus minister at CNU. And if you're feeling a little bit warm, I don't think it's your imagination. Uh, The AC is not working. Deacons, if this is a Wi-Fi related issue and we can fix it, let's fix it. And if it's not a Wi-Fi related issue, I'm sorry. Don't make us jump around. No, I'll probably move around a lot, but... That's just me. Oh, it's good to be with you. It's uh, lovely to be in the height of the summer. We had a bit of a rough week with the rain, but it's lovely that the sun has come out this weekend. You know, uh, summer is always a bit of a strange time when you work in campus ministry. Um, A lot of my students are home in different parts of the state. Uh, So I find this summer to be the time where I catch up on all the, that, you know, office work, that, uh, that fundraising work, that stuff that falls behind with all the excitement of students. Uh, But if I, if the opportunity arises, I, I can also every once in a while get out for a round of golf. If I'm, really, if I'm really doing it well, I go out for a round of golf with a donor. That's called synergy. Um, that's doing it really well. I, I, I do really enjoy golf, which is not to say I'm good at golf. I am probably the world's most mediocre golf player, like right in the middle. Uh, but the allure, the attraction of golf is, it's funny, I can go out there mediocre as all can be with a scratch golfer and we can sound exactly the same out there. Like the exact same thing is happening to us like 15 strokes apart, but The allure is that it's like you're just one little move, one little change. Like if I just put my foot here away from it all working, going low, great score today. The temptation is like, I don't, I don't really want to get a lesson. He'll try and rebuild everything. I'm just like one little, one little swing change away. And it brings you back and it brings you back until that one swing where it feels great. But for some reason that ball just keeps going. And you realize, I don't even know why it did that. And you start to think, maybe it all needs, maybe I'm not just one little thing away. Maybe the whole thing needs to get torn down and rebuilt. And I'm working on a campus minister's salary. I don't have money for that. Um, but we come into a, to a passage here uh, in scripture, we're, we're studying the parables today. I've got a, actually a little section of rapid fire parables for us. Jesus is just firing them fast and loose here. Um, where Jesus examines sort of this question, what do we think we need? Why are we coming here? Why are we showing up? What are we expecting from Jesus? Is Jesus here to provide us that one little change that's going to make everything smooth? Or is he something more substantial than that? It's a question we all have to ask ourselves. So, so why don't we do that together? Why don't we uh, dive into the text? We are in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 14 to 17. I know that it's not projected up me, but I, up behind me, but I'll, I'll try and read it out boldly. And I know you have uh, Bibles in front of you if you would like to follow along. So th- once again, this is Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 to 17. Uh, Then the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, came to him, Jesus, saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth Onto an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved. Heavenly Father, uh, as we come to you today, as we come to your Word, Lord, we pray. That you would give us hearts to listen. That we would receive what you were trying to say. Lord, you speak in these analogies and these parables. Help us to see clearly what you mean for us. To understand your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we we gotta move through these in segments, We got kind of this rapid fire. So let's start with this opening kind of question, this opening salvo. And, and there's a lot to unpack here too. So I'll try and make sure that you have the context to understand it. Um, and one thing that, that is first and foremost is we have this arrival of John the Baptist's disciples. And um, John the Baptist is cousin of Jesus. Uh, he has been having this, uh, he is serving as a prophet. He's baptizing people in the wilderness. That's, that's pouring water over them, pronouncing the forgive you know, repentance and forgiveness. Um, and it's funny, honestly, in Christian circles, we, I think I have a tendency to make too small a deal of John the Baptist. I was a history guy. When you read all the accounts, like the, the contemporary accounts, like they make a big deal about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a thing. They often reference Jesus in reference to John the Baptist you know, the, the non-Christian accounts of Jesus, John, the Baptist was a phenomenon. He was a big deal. And so it's, it, it makes sense that every, all four of the gospels, they all share the story of John baptizing Jesus, of John proclaiming that Jesus is the one that he's been paving the way for. Like, that's a big deal. John has this huge crowd. John's been doing this big ministry and Jesus shows up out of the most remote part of Israel no one knows who Jesus is. And John says, this is the guy I've been telling you about. And then Jesus goes and be, uh, begins his ministry. That's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But John still has probably far more disciples than Jesus do. does. And, and they come and they, they want to ask Jesus this question. Like, hey, we're doing this thing. Then everybody does. The Pharisees, that's the religious leaders of the time, have been leading us in this like weekly fasting some the Pharisees may have fasted two times a day. If you don't know what fasting is, that's abstaining from food. You still drink water, but you don't eat food that day. Um, it can be a mark of uh, repentance. It can be a, a mark of worship. There's a lot of things you can use fasting as as a religious tool. But they've been saying, hey, we're doing it twice a week. And the disciples of John have been fasting regularly. They've been observing this difficult religious practice. Meanwhile, Jesus is in disciple and his disciples are feasting. They're going around being welcomed into houses, being welcomed into like, we're reading this out of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, a sinner who became a disciple of Jesus, who initially welcomes Jesus in with a big feast. Jesus is hanging out with the most questionable people having big feasts, having big celebrations while the, Religious repentant people are, are over here being like, we're not even eating today. What's going on? What is happening? There's one more little fact that you need to know about fasting. It's, it's all throughout scripture. It is a scriptural practice. They're not necessarily adding something new to scripture. But throughout the Old Testament law, fasting tends to be a pretty special Thing. It's something that's called for in a, in a time of uh, you know of, of special need, a of time of repentance, a time to need to return to the Lord. There's only one fast that's on the Hebrew calendar. It's the Day of Atonement. They're doing a lot more fasting than anyone's asking them to do. No one, no one told them to do all this fasting. Just an interesting little point here. But so Jesus hits us with our first of his little analogies, his little parables. He's like, hey, the bridegroom is here. The, the, like, it's a wedding, it's a celebration that I'm here. It's language that we all understand. Like, it's, it's one thing to be a little bit kind of, hey, I'm, I'm fasting, or like, I'm, I'm in this. I'm not feeling well. I'm not doing really well. But you show up to somebody's wedding. I was just at Ian and Eliza's wedding. It was wonderful. It was a party. It was a celebration. The point of that day is celebration. What's called for in that moment is celebration. If I were to show up at their wedding and be like, I'm sorry, I can't have any of the food that you paid too much money for. I'm fasting today. That would not be an act of religious observance. That'd be an act of, that'd just be an act of cruelty. (laughs) Be like, hey, just throw that money, just throw that money away. Jesus, but really, as we get down to the heart of this, it's like, they're asking Jesus, like, why don't y'all look like us and behave like us? And Jesus' response is, Who do you think I am? And I don't think he is doing this in a mean-spirited way. I don't think he's doing this in a necessarily a condescending, you know, in a a cruel way. But Jesus Jesus is pushing on them. It's like, do you think that I'm another John? A prophet in the way of the old ways. Doing things in the way that's familiar to you. Or do you recognize, as John recognized, as John called out, that something new has arrived? Something different is here. Do you grasp that the arrival of Jesus changes our relationship with God? He's like, my disciples get this. They get that something new and joyful is here. And they will not fast during the celebration. There will be times for fasting later. But they are in the midst of something beautiful here. Do we grasp more? Do we grasp how radically Jesus alters our Relationship with God or maybe how we might say it, how we practice religion, our very lives. And that brings us kind of into these, the, the, this, this next kind of duo of parables. And it starts, with Jesus talks about patching old clothing. How many of you patch old clothing these days? Not, Target is right there. I can just get new pants for $20. I am not patching many things. It's a shame. We're losing skills. I, yeah, we're we're losing recipes. I get it where these things are going out the way, out the window, but we're not patching many clothes yet, but I think we do still understand it. Anyone who has bought the lie of pre-shrunk cotton knows that it is a lie. As soon as you wash that, it will shrink. Um, new, newly made cloth is, is, is changeable. You know, it has potential. You, you leave a put a sweater in the dryer by accident. You'll understand what I mean. Like there's, there's some, there's some movement to this thing. You got that old shirt. I got a couple of those shirts I still have from college. That shirt's not changing at all. A few more holes maybe, but it's not the shape of that shirt. It has found its final form. It is stretched. It has reached it. Now, were I to try and patch some of those kind of hole, inconvenient holes with something, and were I try to sew some new clothing on there, some new fresh cotton on there. What would happen as soon as it began to dry, as it soon began to take that shape, those, those rips, those tears that I was trying to patch, well, the cloth would just rip it apart even further. The fray, like it would pull on the fray. It would do the opposite of what I tasked it to do. So what's Jesus, what's Jesus trying to tell us with this analogy? You know, I think it's interesting that, you know, this is a question about fasting and fasting in the Old Testament points to this idea of atonement and repentance. Jesus has arrived to be our ultimate atonement. We're just reading about it in Hebrews. See the whole service, it all comes together. It's amazing how that works. He has come. Look, I'll do another one. So in the words of the prophet Joel, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He's here. He is here to cover the sin. To pay for the sin, to pay for the evil that humanity has brought into this world. That is what he is here to do. But these questions that the disciples of John are asking bring us, should, I think, hopefully bring us to ask questions like, what do we practically actually seek for Jesus to do for us? Do we see Jesus as our great rescuer? Who has come when we were helpless who can save anyone who calls on his name. All that, that he represents the real thing that up until now, we've only been kind of seeing in shadows that he is our better priest who can offer the better sacrifice that he can, he can truly save what we have made broken. Or do we view him through sort of an older lens of what, sacrifice in religion is. Is he just a continuation of this covenant of works where he's maybe a bandage for us. We are working our way to God and, and Jesus is a patch over that one trip, that one stumble. You know, we're, we're heading towards God. We're moving that direction. Oh, and We're just short like 20 bucks of gas and Jesus is going to cover that last little bit on the way home. what do we understand Jesus to be? Do we mostly have it together and he's just there to cover that little rip? Well, Jesus tells us like, that's, that's not really how this works. You slap the gospel down just in one small quadrant of your life in your heart. It's going to tear on some things. We have the benefit of the full story, a benefit that, that, that we can be gracious towards the disciples of John. Many of the disciples of John come to be Christians later. You can hear them, a few examples in the book of Acts. With the benefit of the full story, we can see that Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead in order to fulfill the need that we had to pay for our sins. That, that, that we do not just have this gap, but that it creeps into everything. And when we try and just apply the gospel like a little patch down here, so it doesn't touch these other things that we are doing, it'll start to pull on those threads like a new piece of cloth. It'll start to pull and say, well, why did you? Why did that friction in your life develop that hole? Where does that anger come from? Where does that selfishness come from? We keep pulling on that thread and you start to discover that the whole thing, this thing that we thought was a a lovely garment of our life, all starts to come threadbare when we recognize we need grace all the way through. We don't need a new patch. We need a whole new garment. And so Jesus continues and he presents us one final little mini parable here. He says, neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But the new wine is put into fresh wine skins. So both are preserved. Let me, I don't know how many of you understand what's happening here. How many of you are wine drinkers? Uh, In a former life, not a former life, just like, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I I used to work in, uh, in brewing industry. Um, I worked in kind of a wholesale and retail side of things and I helped people make wine and beer open little breweries or just home brewers making their stuff. And that was part of my job. It wasn't a great job, but it was a job. And, uh, you know, the process by which wine is made is that yeast is introduced to grape juice. The yeast eats the sugar in the juice and it produces two things. It produces alcohol and it also produces carbon dioxide. So, if you put fermenting anything, anything that's, that's fermenting, into a closed container, a sealed container, it will start to initially inflate and then burst because there is pressure being built up in there. The byproduct is carbon dioxide. Now, we advanced in science and technology, can get our wine fully fermented and then put it into glass bottles and not worry about it. Because we're, we've worked really hard on this. Back in the ancient world, though, when the fermentation process was actually over was a bit of an open question. And so they weren't just taking their wine and putting it into glass or even into like ceramics because you weren't really sure that that wine was done producing CO2. So, what they would do is put it in these things called wineskins. They're made from the skins of animals. They have some give to them at first, like a piece of clothing. Once it stretches out, once it finds its final shape, it doesn't have give anymore. And so, you use that wineskin one time too many, and that new wine gets in there. It'll inflate like a balloon, burst, and spill all that wine. Tragedy. In fact, you still see, I, I experienced this a little bit in my homebrew days. Some guys were in a little rush to bottle some things and we would occasionally hear just glass shattering in the back of our store as these bottles that were not adequately prepared were sent to us. I think what we need to see here from this, um, the, the analogy we really need to pull is like we need to recognize that we're dealing with a living thing here. That's what a lot of people don't grasp out, you know, fermented things, be it yogurt, be it beer, be it wine. It's it's a living thing. It is alive. It is active. It is moving. It is changing. It is things are happening there. The grace of God is something living and active. The work of Jesus is something living and active. The promise of the gospel is not that you will remain the same with a tidy little patch, but that you will change. You know, we, we can develop this confusion because the work of Jesus, like I said, we know, the, we know the end of the story. The work of Jesus is done. He was crucified for our sins and he rose from the dead. Our justification, our standing before God, that work has been accomplished. But that does not mean that the work of salvation in our hearts is not ongoing. The work of sanctification, the work where the spirit of God is at work in us, continues to transform us. It is a transforming grace that will push on the neat boundaries that we might make for it. Our old way of doing things will be pushed on. They are like that old wineskin. They have their final shape by this point. You have, you have things that, that like, oh, it needs to fit in this tidy thing. And, and honestly, this stands for if you are if you religious or you coming to this service without you know, irreligious, or if you are irreligious, I, I've seen firsthand that the tension of the gospel pushes on both of these lives. When we come brand new to the grace of Christ, uh, we, we, we discover the discomfort as, as grace calls us out of, of the sin that harms us and other people and calls us to be more Christ-like. We see the tension with our old ways and our old life, the things that, that no longer are fulfilling to us that we, have to, that, that we are called to give up and change. But I think we also have to recognize on the other side of it, how grace can push on the boundaries of of what you think might look like obedience. The, The disciples of John think they're being obedient here. They're like, we're going over and above what the law says. And Jesus is like, you don't recognize the celebration that's happening right now. You think that you're so religious but you do not recognize what your what the man you serve has told you in no uncertain language the messiah is here. It's a celebration. When we come face to face with the reality of how much how alive the grace that Jesus has given us is in our hearts we recognize Hopefully that our old ways, our kingdoms that we have made, cannot contain this. The pressure on them will grow too severe. And Jesus warns us, we need we need to trade in our old ways for a new wineskin for, for what is good. I, I'll finish with this. There's, you know, last time I preached, I talked to you about how, how sometimes in the miracles of Jesus, in the power of, 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 that he demonstrates in his life, we can, we can see more clearly what he's trying to say to us. Immediately following this in the book of Matthew, there are two miracles. It's one of my favorite little double stories in the gospels. Uh, uh, a man comes to Jesus asking him to heal his daughter. And on the way, a woman who's got a bleeding condition, reaches out and touches Jesus and is healed. And Jesus stalls and delays to talk to the woman and then gets to the house. And the little girl is dead. And Jesus says, don't don't worry about that. And people start to make fun of Jesus, but he just goes up to the little girl and says, wake up. And she does. It's a pair of beautiful stories because they both push on the way the old understanding of things. Jesus is like, you think that you think that I'm just a continuation of the old thing. You think that I'm just a prophet. You think that nothing has changed and you're wondering what's going on. Well, let me show you how clearly things have changed first with the woman. She was unclean by touching Jesus. She should have made Jesus unclean, but something's different now by touching Jesus. She becomes clean. The grace of Jesus is not like our own little attempts at works that are spoiled so easily. The grace of Jesus is powerful over sin. The apostle John will later use the analogy, will stop using the analogy of clean and unclean and we will start using the analogy of light and darkness because darkness has no power over light. Jesus has changed something. The grace of Jesus has changed how we understand sin in this world. No longer are we tainted by it. But by interacting with his grace, we are made clean. And with the little girl, he shows us. That thing which governs our fears. The fear of death itself. The injustice of death itself. I. I. Jesus have power over that too. Sin and death no longer reign; grace reigns. Our hope for Jesus is often too small. It's too limited. We believe he is an aid, a counselor, a patch, and when he's used that way, I'm going to tell you he's terribly inconvenient. You know, say you're you're the sort of person coming here today, like a patch isn't enough. A little tidy religion on the surface of this isn't enough. It's not going to clean it up. Or say you're one of those people who it's like, you know, I don't really need that much of a patch. It's inconvenient that he's just giving these patches away. Do I just got to forgive everybody for everything? I can tell you, I've been both these people this week. When we let the grace of Jesus get too small, too limited, he doesn't seem very useful. But it turns out that the living sacrifice of Jesus was way bigger deal than a little patch. He is making all things new. It's all there. If you look with fresh eyes, The, the son of God, Jesus, a member of the Trinity, that mysterious community of God condescended to this world and lived among us, not to condemn us. That's such an important part of this, right? He didn't come down here to condemn us, to show us up, but no, to give his life for ours, to ransom us from the evil that we have committed. Maybe, maybe even more than thinking that the evil that we've built our life out of. The stuff that we've just made our peace with. That this is what we make our life out of. That he's here to ransom us from that. And the miracle of his resurrection. That he truly rose with a body from the dead. Three days after he was crucified brutally. Tells us there is something tangibly. Really physically better and new and lasting. Not governed by sin and death. Lasting for us. Through the power of his grace. The shabby little remains of our plans, our life, our kingdom that we would build can't handle this new thing that Jesus is making. That he's making us into. Because here's the really good news. We are made for an eternity with God. And our hearts will never be content without him. And Jesus welcomes us gladly into that eternity through the power of his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us, that you adore us, that you would sacrifice your life for ours. That Lord, you are not here Just to continue the same old, same old. But Lord, you are making all things new. You are not a patch, but you are a rescue. You offer us new clothes. You welcome us in. Your work on the cross and in the tomb is finished. And your work within us will reach its finish. You have promised us so, Lord. For that, we thank you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.